nice things. Hello, good evening and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled, special 12th night edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... My name is Paul Carmichael and I am the last of the red-hot lovers. The last of the red-hot lovers, eh? I've decided, yes. That sounds like something that would really work well in a Tony Hancock, doesn't it? It does, actually, doesn't it? I'll tell you what it is, right, and this relates... I'm going to have to bring a nice thing out uh, all of a sudden to just Christmas sort of Christmas pop. Christmas pop. Can't go wrong with Christmas pop. It's the last of the Christmas today, isn't it? I mean, the tree's coming down. I thought I'd get it in shot, seeing as this is exactly what we should have done when we did the Christmas thing. Drag it next to you. That Mm -hmm. looks better, doesn't it? Yes, but, I mean, we were incredibly, incredibly busy. Well, we were. That was a lot of effort, that was, setting that up. That was so much effort. However... So, I've got, I've got to reveal a nice thing i got to explain why yeah. I'm the last of the Red Hot Lovers. And it's this, right? Now then, I bought this for all the wrong reasons, but it's turned out to be the most wonderful thing ever. And it is the DVD box set of... Oh! Gi- give us a clue. No! No! Oh! No! Dreadful! No! No! No, you can, you can say that and be wrong. You're welcome listen, to be wrong. Listen, yeah. in your Protestant household... Yes. You, Mondays at 7pm were not give us a clue time. I'm no. guessing you were watching something uh, improving, you oh, know, yes. on the BBC. It would have been that. No, no, it no, was... Sir Kenneth Tynan's on now, Paul. You will sit. That's you don't want to watch Lionel Blair and all the Can't other watch... commoners. Well, my, my mother hated Lionel Blair, I think, probably because she believed him to be gay, which is interesting for a married man with three kids. However, um, so... I mean, who couldn't love Lionel Blur. I mean, let's be honest. Even yeah. though I don't give us a clip, and I'll tell you in a minute why my real okay. objection lies with it. But Lionel Blur, just as a concept, as a thing, oh. I mean, you don't need to like give us a clue to think he was amazing. It's shit that he's dead because he was a cool dude. Did you see him on that when they got them all in an old folks home a summer? Oh, yes, I did. And they yeah. were like, he wouldn't let anyone do anything for him. He was sat there with his legs so tightly crossed. Yes. And he was like on a stool, drilling a fag. Just like, <sighs> and I was like, this geezer's 80 odd. Yeah. He doesn't want anyone to even make him a brew. No, absolutely not. He made it to 91, 92, something like that. But, top uh, dude. Top no, dude. well, I'll tell you why I love it. Right. Okay. So what we've got here is we've got early give us a clue. We've got 1978 to 84. With every- the proper theme tune. With the Grange Hill theme tune well i'm guessing it was library music they both used well they did both use it no no it was composed by alan hawkshaw in 1978 okay it must have been composed as a piece of library music however it's alan hawkshaw there you go but 1978 of course not only does give us a clue launch but so does grange hill in the same year same piece of music, two sides, different shows. A great year for Mr. Oakshaw. Oh, I bet wonderful. he had a couple of Um, isn't it called Chicken Man or Summit? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got I've got an Alan Oakshaw CD, which is phenomenally good. Wonderful. It's just, you know that one. It's so good. Oh, he's a wonderful cover. He only died quite recently, about two, three years ago, I think it was. But different version of the music, but the same track essentially but oh, is it a different I, version different version yeah it's a oh. much more it's more relaxed and it's more purred back different instrumentation it's more sort of like it's more jovial i think i used to like the thing that sounded like a comb that you know the marimba or, or the, whatever yeah that yeah, thing. Do, 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 do. 
whatever. Not in this one. Okay. So no, that's you don't something. have that version. And you don't uh, get the sausage on the fork flying You don't Lionel get the Blur's sausage head, on the fork. You? you get this lovely animated opening, uh, which by about episode 10... They've clearly just run the same piece of film through. So the film starts looking beautiful. By episode 10, it's falling to bits and it's washed out. But here's what's lovely about it. It's early, give us a clue. So there's no Lisa Goddard and there's no Michael Parkinson. None of that, okay? Yeah, was it Aspel before him? It's Aspel, there Aspel's he is. Aspel's far better. Aspel's wonderful, but here's why... I love why... Michael Parkinson, but not doing Michael Aspel's what? job. Oh, no, no, no. Now, here's why in The Last and of the conversely, Red Lovers... Go on. I'm so sorry to butt in, but no, I don't no. like Michael Aspel doing Parkinson's job. Do you remember Aspel on a Saturday night? Oh, yes, no. They should no, stay no, no. in the lanes. They absolutely should. Aspel's brilliant in this, right? Absolutely. However, there's a very interesting thing that happens, which I'd never realised, which is that Aspel is a complete pervert. He spends... <laughs> The whole of this show basically saying the most outrageous stuff to Una Stubbs. Um, and whenever there's a vaguely dirty sort of card, and you can see, he doesn't take them in order. When it's Una Stubbs' turn, he'll flick through and he'll go, there's a nice one for you. And it's the last of the Red Hot Lovers or something. So that she's got to do something a bit filthy. And then he just sort of sits back. And then at the end, he just gives a little look to camera and a quick, well, that got me a little hot under the collar. And all this sort of stuff. <laughs> Such a pervert. It's Do you brilliant. remember they made that mad BBC4 thing where Jamie Theakston and all the other people all claimed they were his kids? And it was like this um, completely... And good sport on him for being a part of this. I but they did some that. kind of... No, did you not see that? No. Um, so they did a thing whereby it was like a completely fabricated biography of his life. Mm. And then uh, the culmination of which was all of them going to some church in the country, all his children, which was everyone in light entertainment at the time. He'd oh. fathered them all or something. Oh, really I have strange. To find I thought this. you'd have seen that. Nope, not a clue. Not a clue about that. Hang However, on, with my Give phone? Us a Clue, you have a look. But with Give Us a Clue, right? Here's why it's. Here, now, forget it. Here's why it's wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. The guests. Right, you couldn't do this now because we don't have enough people. Really, mm. you look at the people who are on there. I mean, the whole cast of Secret Army has now turned up, apart from Bernard. I don't think Bernard will be making an appearance. Bernard Epton. When I was doing my hard drive the other day, I found a series with him from 1981, Blood Money. Blood Money, Blood yeah. Money, uh, half-hour episodes. It's the same production company, the same crew, the same cast as Secret Army. They did two. They did Blood Money and Scorpion. Well, Scorpion. when when my service is online, well, I shall enjoy Netflix. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that the guests are wonderful, right? But then you get these really interesting clashes. So there's one I was watching last night, and on Lionel's team. Well, first of all, it's not Lionel that week. Um, because not Lionel. Not Lionel. That uh, sounds not, like a guy's name, doesn't it? it this week, not, not Lionel. <laughs> no, this week, it's Norman Vaughan. Um, and mm. Aspel does this very interesting thing where he basically suggests that um, Lionel's had to leave the country for doing something <laughs> dirty. I'm like, does Lionel know you were going to say that? I think he's just Probably on holiday. Not. Probably not. But um, Norman, I never Norman comes in. to Vaughan. No, I don't understand what he's for. He reminded me of Bernard Lee. Not Bernard Lee. He was a, a bloke, wasn't he? I think he was called Bernard. My granddad had a mate called Bernard Lee. My granddad had all these mates. I don't when he remember was your Ill, granddad's mate, Bernard Lee, I'm afraid, no. No, but I didn't like Bernard Lee. Oh, right. So okay. Norman Vaughan looked like him. And he had another mate who looked like Leonard Parkinson, and I liked him. Oh, is it Leonard Parkin? Leonard Parkin. 
He had yeah. a mate who looked like Leonard Park because he was ill when I was a kid. Yeah. And he was laid out in the front. Not laid out. He hadn't died yet. Mm. But it was one of them. You won't know any of this. This is like a keyhole into a, a sort of lost, misty realm that you've no mm. clue about. So no. poor people like us, and probably mm. lazy because we couldn't be arsed with the stairs, would mm. bring the bed downstairs. And so mm. when my granddad got ill when I was five, I, I'll have to cut this out. No one's interested. But he was, he was, he kept in the front room because he right. was ill. Right. Mm. So his mates used to come round because he was a, a social bloke. They were, weren't they? They were like out every night for like, oh God, yeah. might have been too mild or whatever, but no. Yeah. Right. It's that time. And they'd be going out all clean, yep. suited and booted down yep. the club. So of course it was the club at home because the blokes, you know, come round. One of them looked like Norman Vaughan. I didn't like him, but the one who looked okay. like Leonard Parkin, I did like, and I think it's cause he came round after granddad died. Uh-huh. So I always liked the news at 5.45 because of <laughs> the guy who looked like Leonard Parker. But a great thing about it was because the priest used to, he couldn't go to Mass either. So the priest used to come around on a Sunday, Father Kennedy. Uh-huh. And because the priest was coming round, we had Arctic Roll. Oh. It's just like, oh, can Father Kennedy come round again? Oh, no, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. Because dessert's a strange thing, isn't it? These days, after tea, my kids automatically go and get something. Uh, might be a chocolate thing, might be something out the freezer, something like that. Dessert? No, dessert. Exclusive? Oh, dessert was pff, not even every Sunday. Dessert. But you know, because it had that sort of enchantment about it, it was mm. more special, wasn't it? It was like, ooh. You know, I mean, I used to love... We used to get like, do you remember this? They probably still sell them, I've no idea. But they were like, I think nectarines in syrup and peach in syrup, not in like water or anything. Oh, in the tins? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. No, I do oh, remember those. With the carnation on it. Oh, carnation milk. Evaporated milk. Wow. Oh, but we got did... Arctic Roll. Oh. And now you can get a Vionetta for a quid out of, mm. what's it called? Heroin Foods or whatever. Mm. It's not the same, man. It's not the same. Do you I never liked chicken to... when you were a kid as well. Yeah, chicken was a rare thing. Oh God, yeah. Why? Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. These days, I mean, I, I, this might sound as though I spoil the animal, but these days, I mean, the dog has a, a little bit of pan-fried roast chicken every night. Oh, the little hummus and feta and a couple of leaves of Lola Rosso. Just oh, and don't little... forget the Halkadiki olives. A little rice and a small amount of gravy. He likes it. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I might be spoiling Did it. Did I ever tell you about that one? Sorry to just go, go down these alleys. After my mum died, mm. I, I was a vegetarian at the time, and there was a freezer full of her food because she died, like, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, my uncle, our Colin, came round, a notoriously thrifty man whose own mother said he'd split Apney in three. So, <laughs> he came round, and... Um, they were cook- I was cooking a joint of topside beef in the oven. Yeah. I remember it distinctly. And he's like stood there and his olfactory senses are going mad because it's like, mm. he can smell, ex- I can smell pound notes burning there, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And he's like, that. no then, Mark, I thought that were vegetarian. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, it's, I'm, it's beef. Yeah, I'm cooking it for the dog. She likes it. She bloody will like it. And he <laughs> went into this rant about, I bloody like it. And all this, like, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. No. Dogs do like meat. They I think, do. I think we can say we've established a fact for the viewers today. I, I think we have, though. That's I think safe. We have. 
Yes, my dog is certainly not a vegetarian. I think that's that's a fair thing to say. But the guests are wonderful on this, Um, and there's a but. But what's brilliant about it is sometimes they hate each other. So the one I watched last night. I actually remember that. Oh, I I remember enmity on the show. There really is. So last night that I watched. You've got Norman Vaughan, who comes on and appears to have tits, which I think is just the, the, the sort of the tank top he's wearing. But he, he has these right. little jiggly tits, right? He trots down, he introduces, um, he introduces his panel. So the camera moves along to his first one, Warren Mitchell. Okay? Lovely Warren Mitchell, very serious actor, who gives a nod to the camera. Then he starts talking about who's coming next. And Warren Mitchell just looks to his left, and you can see his face go, <laughs> Kenny Everett. <laughs> He doesn't like oh, Kenny Everett. Oh, what a shame. What he, a shame. He really but you can doesn't. imagine Everett being at mayhem in rehearsals. Oh, absolutely He's insane. Doing his head in. Yeah, completely. Oh, absolutely. What's lovely, though, is Warren Mitchell at one point does slip into Alf Garnet and start shouting at Una Stubbs. That's beautiful. Oh, God, of course. You've got that, haven't you? You've got that aspect. It's wonderful. Um... But what's so lovely about this is, of course, these days, every damn thing that you watch, every single game show, they're playing for thousands of pounds. Or if it's a celeb thing, it's that celebrity pointless where basically the celebs go in and say, watch your charity. Oh, disabled donkeys, right? Okay, you're playing for them. And if they don't get the money, the disabled donkeys get nothing. But it's always that peril of cash. Give us a clue. It's just the points. Just for the hell of it. I love that. I like the really competitive ones. Oh, there are some of them. Lionel Dead arsed when they lose. Lionel Blur is not happy when he loses, you can tell that. He, but he very rarely does because he, he's so intense mm. with this show. He wants mm. to win. Um, whereas Yuna just trots in and she's lovely and then Aspel says something appalling to her. But you've got Diana Dawes. I, I love Diana Dawes. It's that oh, Causey family. That's who you've spent Christmas with, isn't it? That is exactly what I've done. I thought, well, you know what? I'm never going to watch it. It'll sit on the shelf as a little 10 years time and go, yes, they released that. Can you believe it? I've demolished it. But instead, it. it's put your its arms around you. It has. There's four discs that I've gone through already out of the 13, and it's blissful. 13. 13 discs. But then it's... you've got the crap theme tune in Parky, haven't you? Well, they don't go to that point. They, they go to 1984, which is when Una left, and it's when Aspel left. They're the ones that you've got. You may well have got a second set from 84 to 92, but I'm afraid Network are no more. This is just about the last thing they did. Um, but this is glorious, because like I say, it's just for the fun of it. That's all that it is. It's just pure fun. You don't Absolutely. get that now. You, you get cash and peril. But I want cash Well, and the peril. modern world's quite grubby anyway, isn't it? Let's be honest. It is. You it know is. what I mean? I mean, yes. we've had the lid blown off any... I don't know if there were... Were there anybody who thought that politicians had some integrity? Maybe mm. not. Maybe mm. Dennis Skinner back in the day. You know, people like Dennis and Tony Benn. The Bals- Beast of Bolsover, The Beast maybe. of Bolsover. But, yeah. I mean, what, what we now have is a world where... Do you remember when Blur came to power? Mm. And part... I mean, he was, co- was going to be elected anyway, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a big plank of all of that was Tory sleaze, wasn't it? John Major's government, the sleazy lot. Right. Fucking nothing mm. compared to what we know about our politicians now. But we, it's just, huh, yeah, well, they do that, don't they? Mm. And I, I think that demoralisation <coughs> is part of sort of the general malaise of society, really, to be quite honest with you. That knowledge that the people that... 
there is nobody that we actually can think, you know what, they're working in our interests. Well, this you is the thing, and, and it's also what they're working on. I mean, these days it's just, it's average to have a second job, isn't it, that pays you £100,000, because obviously mm. what you paid as a MP, which is, what, 80-odd thousand, it's not enough. You've got to take on a second job. I, I could see you as an MP. I actually could. Do you know what? That is what you should be doing with your life. Fuck all it. Look, ju- let's just stop recording now. Okay. Let's just jib it, because okay. we need to get down. To, I don't know who who would you represent then? Would you? I think you'd be independent. Yeah, the strong arm party. I could strong, go with that. Strong arm for Britain. Like sensible a Dennis policies Potter. for a happier Britain. Sensible policies for a happier Britain. Oh, I could do that absolutely. I could sit in the Commons and shout. Oh, ooh, I'd like ooh, that. Yeah, but you'd have to be one of the Commons. Ooh, Maybe Lord right. Carmichael. Well, eventually. I mean, you get that for absolutely nothing, don't you? Liz Trust, what, she managed 50 days and she's elevated all sorts of people to the Lords. Isn't that underwear so. woman the same? Oh, Michelle Moan. Mm. Um, is she a Lord or whatever they are? Oh, oh yes, she is. Mm. Yeah. Is it Baroness? And there's another bloody example. I mean, at least with that, people are getting the arse about it. Mm. You know, I think it's Barrowman, is it, her husband? Yes, that's right, yeah. Because obviously we all thought Captain Jack was trending again for some indiscretion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so people are asked about that, I think. Well, at the moment. But then they'll be asked about something else and forget about it. Because it is, like you say, it is just what you expect now, isn't it? I know, I know. That's the problem. And with Give Us a Clue, mm. as you point out, it's it's still that world where, you know, oh, well, they're essentially good-hearted people with our... And I think for the most part they possibly were. I don't know. Well, I suspect what you didn't have... You see, what gets on my tits these days, and we've talked about this many a time, this polarised thing, you know, you're either that or that. Mm. And like we've talked about, most people are basically, you know, sort of like fannying about in the middle, foot in both camps. British way. There you go. Rather than this hard this, hard that. It's like, no, I don't want to hard anything, thank you. I'll just sort of like, you just look after people. That's mm. all. Not yourselves. Look after everyone else. But it doesn't seem to be the case, sadly. No. I think the only way it can work is at a very micro level. People making decisions about what directly affect them. Well, we should go back, I think, to basically either. I'm not saying re-embrace feudalism, mm. okay? However. Yes, you are. <laughs> You There's say some, that all the time. There is some merit to it, isn't there? So long the as you're at the, the top of the food chain, it's a fantastic system. Oh, oh! So long as I'm actually ruling over the peasants and they're bringing me all, you know, what, like two thirds of what they make. The tithe. Yes, and then you're allowed to live on your well, of patch of mud. But at least people knew where they were then. But these days, I mean, there's this, I think, again, I think social media, which basically says your opinion's important. Mm. No, it's not. No, it's not. No more than anybody else's. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter. No. As we were discussing yesterday, nobody gives a fuck. No, not at all. Not really. And that's not, I'm not being cynical because I think that most people are good people. Hmm. I just think that everyone's got their own fucking, you know what I mean? It's very sweary today. I think everyone's got their own box of bullshit that they've got to deal with when they wake up. You know, yeah. and, and when you're in the middle of yours, you think it's the most important thing in the world. And the temptation with social media is, this is important. I must tell everyone. Yes. And then when you either, whatever the outcome. Mm. So you, if you get sympathy or even if you get derision or if you get people put in L 
for mm. loser or whatever it might be. Mm. You know, it's it's all of it. It's just it's all of it as valuable as the next because mm. it, it doesn't matter. What actually matters is ensuring those relationships around you are, uh, are sorted. I oh think God, social yeah. media, it, the temptation is, and I've certainly been guilty myself of this in the past, the temptation is to replace mm. people who are IRL, to borrow mm. the vernacular, mm. um, with that because we all seek connection, don't we? I mean, that's what we want. We want connection and we want validation. Obviously. We do. We want approval, essentially, that what we think is correct. But yeah. it's individualistic at the end of the day, isn't it? What I think. Yeah. It, it certainly is. I mean, what I'm happy about is after trying for many, many years to limit my use of social media, mm. um, this must be a phenomenon and it's possibly age-related. I'm not sure. But I have drifted from it, mm. which I'm really happy about. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like I went on Twitter the other day to post Happy New Year or something. Yeah. And I noticed there were messages there and they were weeks old. And it was just, which isn't good, I, I, I grant you. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, this is this is an indication to me of how without any kind of, you know, effort required, I have drifted from it. Yeah. The same goes for Facebook. Uh, and they're the only two. No, I did do Instagram for a bit, but what, why? Well, um, yeah, yeah, so you can look at somebody's lunch. No, I mean, like, well, like I say, a few months ago with the old Twitter, I basically thought, it doesn't do anything. I can sit there and shout about why you should pay the license fee, but at the end of the day, someone will go, nonce, if I do. It's like, well, what's the point? So I, it was difficult weaning myself off it. it Mate, I, I couldn't. Hard. But yeah. it's drifted from me. As you, as you sort of, you know, with inexorable tread, approach 50. Uh maybe that same phenomenon is going to happen to you. It might be an age-related thing. I don't but know. I, I, well, with Twitter, it already has. I mean, I occasionally pop on and have a look at what's going on. It's basically people shouting twat at each other. No, I it's, can't really it, be bothered. It's now got this... I, I have the same bemusement that I have with television. Because mm. with television, the first thing that started was probably when I was in my 20s, maybe. The adverts, I stopped enjoying them. Because I always... I mean, the, the majority of them are, are dog shit. Yeah. But one would come on and it would be a PG tips or an advert for Penguin or yeah. an advert for Finger of Fudge, you know, with the guy playing Conkers or whatever. Or you'd have Frank Muir, you know, oh, fruit and nut cakes or whatever uh, it was. There was always one, wasn't there? Yes. You know, Barbara Windsor eating a cream cake or Diana Doss, naughty but nice, whatever. There was always something like that. And that seemed to, and I think that was probably an age-related thing because my cultural signposts were gone. So I didn't know the stars in the adverts. Yeah. It was a bit of a brave new world, wasn't it? You know, we mm. had the BBC, Matthew Bannister, was it? Who swept the broom at radio. That's BBC right, radio, yes. you know what I mean? DLT, outside broadcasting house. Something very wrong is going on in this building. Yeah, How right. right you were, David. <laughs> um, but, um, and then I noticed around about mid-2000s, TV. I, I mm. had that same, I don't enjoy this anymore. Mm. Now, it's that same thing when I look at Twitter. It's mm. it's none of it registering at the at the sort of level that it used to. Maybe some kind of recognition, some spark in something someone wrote. I felt I wanted to respond to or like or whatever it might be. Mm. And now I look at it, it's just a, like a, a river flowing of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, make of that what you will. 
Well, yeah, plus apparently it's going to be subscription. You're going to have to start paying it each month no. for Twitter. No, no. No, Abs- Mike. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm not having any of that. But, um, yeah, pure cosiness, this. Absolutely And those lovely. adverts would have been good. Oh, they would have been. They would have been. And it's got VT clocks at the start of each one. Oh, yeah. oh Keep going, just, man. That's all I need. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what would be your... But You said you had a bit of a problem with Give Us a Clue. What would that be? The theme tune and Parky. Oh, okay, fair enough. The, the theme tune that I remember, you know, it, it was too too jazzy and they'd introduce everyone with, you know, within the theme tune with Lisa Goddard oh, and Lionel Blair. It. That it's, is it! Yes. That! With oh. Michael Parkinson. Hateful! Goddard. Yeah. Hateful, yeah. Lisa Goddard. No. No, 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 no. Jesus, no. that was it. That I hated that. I hated that. Mm. And around the same time, I ended up, I started off loving it and then ended up hating it. Win, lose, or draw with oh, Danny no, who, Baker in the morning. That's it, yeah. Because mm. I used to like when he used to come on. Who was the guy who looked like Roger Whittaker? He was a cartoonist. Bill Tidy. That's right, yeah. Died fairly recently he again. did. Yeah, mm. Bill Tidy, I loved. I loved yeah. Bill Tidy turning up on things because he was yeah. great. I loved cartoons. He was good on it. I think he was on it. Anyway, don't matter. Mm. Give us a clue when it went to that bullshit. No. Fuck off. No, absolutely not. Original, pure give us a clue, however. <sighs> Chef's kiss. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. I'm enjoying this. Um, I just got myself enough little box sets so that I can have a schedule now of about three or four programmes, one a night. Lovely. A schedule? A schedule, indeed. Indeed. Very appropriate for Twelfth Night, indeed. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, the tree's got to come down, hasn't it? It's Twelfth Night. Did you bother with the tree? I had two trees. Yeah, no, tree's just there, but no, that's going to have to come down. Mm. My first tree came down of its own accord. It did, didn't it? <laughs> it gave me a brand new carpet of needles. Yes, Happily, that was a hell of a crash. It was in a reservoir, which was full of water, so that then tips over onto the needles. Making sure those needles are thoroughly embedded in the carpet. Oh, that's perfect then. That's what you need, isn't it? Yeah. Lovely. Chef's oh, piss. Smashing. So, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, there we go. So, Twelfth Night indeed. Blimey. Mm. Well, you and must a, know that. Sorry, go on. Uh, and a new year as well. 2024. That just feels a bit... Really? No, that was Knight Rider's car, wasn't it? Wasn't that yeah. the model of that or something? I don't something know. Something like that. I don't agree with any of these years. I just don't. Well, where should we have stopped? Well, it depends where you stop, doesn't it, in terms of sort of your um, belief mm. in time, really? Yeah. I you think... Get, go on. 1998, for me. 98? That's, that's enough. Yeah, 1998. I do actually like believe, really sort of strongly believe in living in the now, which is completely at odds with the old world. I used to, you know, what I did was I tried to completely. What's the bloody film? There's a film with Christopher Reeve where he goes back in time, and because uh, Jane Seymour's in a photo and he wants to have a go at Jane Seymour, doesn't so he? So do you though? I've never understood that. No, no, Too you don't tall. like Jane Seymour, do you? Too tall. Too tall. Over five yeah. foot four. Absolute lunatic. But anyway, we haven't got time. Could do an hour on that. Um, so anyway, um, he surrounds himself. He's got to have everything from the past. Right. And then he can time travel. Okay. So he buggers it up on one 
at trial because he's got a pair of Timpson's shoes on a summer. I can't remember. Yeah. He's got to have the pocket. Everything's got to be, and then he can time track. Right. So that was how I had the house set up. You know what I mean? I had it looking like a house when I was a kid. Watch old telly on the telly, you mm-hmm. know, get pissed. Yes. Therefore, Tom's not moved on. Yes. Wrong. Mm. Totally wrong. Because it mm. does. And it's it most to. upsetting. It keeps going. And suddenly it's 2024, and that's the future. I don't like that. Step into the future. We're only three years off when bloody Star Cops was set, and that's all in space. I don't want that yet. At all. It upsets me. No, no, no. Space won't be for the likes of you unless you're an MP. That's true, isn't it? Space will be for rich people. They'll just leave us all down here to have a scrap. Yeah, that's true enough. So you don't worry about that. No, I, I that won't be happening to, to you. No, um, that's, that's all right. Then. But time does march on, and mm. um, you know, um, I quite like it actually. I'm quite excited about the future. These Have days. you got no desire to go to space? No, really. God, no. I don't Why like not? flying. Well, no, that's true. I mean, I. There's a part of me that thinks I would really like it, but there's two things that have made me think, mm, maybe not. One is Challenger when that exploded, because there it is. You don't want to end up on Newsround. Well, and that was it, wasn't it? I was watching that on Newsround, and it it exploded live on Newsround. That's I didn't right. expect that. That was a bit upsetting. No. So I didn't like that. And then the other thing that's made me go, mm, probably not, was that bloody submarine on the Titanic a few months ago that went and just imploded. Yeah, did you see, though? It was made of, like, balsa wood and baker well, yeah. foil. Yeah, it was. But then, It was a bit of an nuts idea. It was, but then there's a part of me that thinks, if that had worked, I like that idea that you could create something so shit and go, we're going to the Titanic. That's British. Now, if they'd have built that in the Victorian age, or balsam wood, it would have worked. They've but done it now. film with Terry Thomas. Oh, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, go down in my sad merciful. Oh, you know I'd I mean? love that. All that business. That'd be good. He did a good few of them films, did Terry Thomas, didn't he? He did. He did. Um, Wonderful. But, I don't yeah. see the point. I don't see the point, mate. I really don't. I see the point of, you know, uh, going thousands of feet above sea level to observe Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. I see the point of being exhausted in the midday Egyptian sun in order to go and have a nosy at the what it looks like from the top of the Great Pyramid. Yeah. You know what I mean? The riddle of the tombs. Yes. I get that. But going down into icy water to see what? A rusty lump of metal. Mm. I mean, what is going to be there? Let's be honest. Well, not a lot's left, is there? So, no, I'm with you there. And and it is the fact that, you know, you're probably going to die. Oh, I. I don't like that bit. That bit bit doesn't do much for me. No, no, no. And they'll probably say no, actually. Yeah. No, no. There's right, things then. I'd like to go and see. Don't get me wrong. So about going into space, mm. eh, not asked. Mind no. you, mm. if there was something really cool up there, you know, if on Mars they did find um, the proof that people say is there of uh, what is it, Sidonium Range in Mars, where they say the pyramids are there and the fallen Sphinx and all that business. All that sort of stuff. You've got that idea as well, isn't it, uh, that there's uh, Mayan culture was influenced by things and there's evidence up there and all that. Yeah, that'd be great. I don't have a nosy at that. But it would take, I mean, wouldn't it take several years to get there? Don't know. It's either six months or six years, something like that. And that's danger that you're just going to die. Yeah, but it might be like Total Recall. I what? You've never seen Total Recall? 
Is it like Give Us a Clue? You're kidding. You've never seen Total Recall? No. Brilliant film. Sell it to me. Why would I want to see it? Give me one reason. Prime Purple Patch Arnie. Right, he's in the middle of that run of movies, Terminator, Total Recall, The Running Man, Commando, all that boss. No. Absolutely. <laughs> right, Total Recall. It's a proper old 50s sci-fi book thing they've turned into a, a movie. Right. You've got to get out of here. Ooh. That's Arnie acting. Okay. Um, that doesn't do it for me. They go to Mars. They okay. find the ancient civilization. Right. Ah, sure, it's great. It's better than Pyramids of Mars. Absolutely not. What's he got recall of then? So, he was a scallywag originally. And what he decided to do was put a big chip in his brain that he pulls out quite spectacularly through his nostril. Um, And, uh, yeah, so he he was a bad guy. But he's had this brain patch, so he thinks he's a good guy. And in the end, Arnie is the good guy. He, He completely and utterly... Um, disavows his bad past, beats all the bad guys up, restarts right. the atmosphere on Mars, and right. everyone's happy because it's like the sun makers, people are paying, you know, for oxygen rights and water and stuff like that, when there's actually a natural thing set up by the ancients on there. Very good. I can't, I can't see anything of that that appeals to me at all. That's a shame, because it's a bloody yeah. good film. Well, I mean, it's a film, so no. I did buy a film. At Christmas, I bought a Mm -hmm. film, which I would very rarely do. Uh, Is it here? You don't watch Home Alone at Christmas, then? What? You don't watch Home Alone at Christmas? Absolutely not. Why would I do that? Because it's superb. The one with the child? Yeah. Why would I want to watch a child? Because the injuries in it are spectacular. A child gets injured? No! The robbers! Dan... uh, Joe Pesci... And oh. the other fella. Oh, I don't uh, like him. I didn't think you would. He's just shouting all the time, and doesn't isn't he? You know, he's quite violent. In this, he has violence visited upon him by the boy. Right. It's so a is it a story. bit like um, The Exorcist or Carrie with a no. mad child? No, but there is a new drama on about a poltergeist, isn't it? The rumcom one they're doing, or one of them. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. I'm not seeing that, obviously, because it's on Sky or something. Um, right. The Enfield poltergeist, they did a thing about that. It might be that, actually. Could be that, There yeah. was one here in Runcorn, the Byron Street one. Really? Mm, it's quite famous. Oh, I didn't know about that. Mm. So, anyway. Yeah. John Hughes films. You don't ever watch a John Hughes film at Christmas. I don't know. I think I went to school with someone called John Hughes. Probably, yeah. It wouldn't have been this one. Right, okay. Uncle um, Uncle Buck? I don't know what any Planes, of Planes, Trains and Automobiles? That's the one with the two men on the poster. John Candy, Steve Martin. Right, okay. Nope, not seen that. Oh, you've never seen Planes, Trains and Automobiles? No, no. Oh, man. It's so good. Well, I mean, no, this doesn't sound appealing at all, I have ah, to say. Well, there you go. This is like Twitter, innit? I like this. I don't. Well, yeah, it's basically that, isn't it? I wanted to show you that I'd actually bought a film for once. Oh, come on, then. Bloody well find it now. Um, Well, it's not here. I can't find it. Anyway, it's... uh, What's his face? Noel Coward. Um, In which which we serve. Oh, great film. Oh, no, I've not seen it yet. Have you seen him in The Cruel Sea? No. No. 
Or... The only film that is as good as the book. Really? The Cruel Sea. It's fantastic. Oh, I like the sound of that. It's superb. And what, you, what you'll like about old films, mm. uh, apart from Powell and Pressburger, yeah. uh, they're only like an hour and 15. Which is perfect. I do like Michael Powell. I love Michael Powell stuff. Didn't he do, oh, The Edge of the World? Mm. A Matter oh. of Life and Death? Uh, Edge of the World, I think, you know, shot up in the in the Orkneys or whatever. That's a beautiful film. That's a remarkable film. The Powell and Pressburger stuff's really good. And they did the Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, you see, yeah, so yeah. long as the film was made before about 1950, I'm absolutely fine. The moment it's Arnie with chips in his fucking head, I'm just not interested. It's a good diversion, though. It's like the Mission Impossible films. They're fantastic. No, they aren't. They are. They're not. It's Tom Cruise. He's don't, mad. Don't you ever want... No, I know the answer. I'm not going to ask you. Okay, because no, absolutely not. I don't. Don't you ever crave stuff that is so diametrically opposed to your own aesthetic that it's like escape? Well, no, because why would I watch stuff that is nothing like me? I mean, you know, I can imagine. I can imagine going to Thames and playing Give Us a Clue. Yeah, that's fine. I can imagine that. I can't imagine going to Mars with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I can't imagine that. The thing that. is, that's probably a bad example because that's like 1986 or something, seven, something like that. But, you right. know, if you if you sort of... What I'm discovering is, it's like when I stopped enjoying adverts because I didn't know the people in them. Mm. So I'll look at a film and I'll be like, who's in that? Okay. And let's say it's Robert Redford or whoever yeah. it might be. Okay, I know them. I'll give right. that a spin. Okay. So what I discovered in the <coughs> last couple of years... Look at a film, don't know any of them. Mm. Don't know any of them. Because time's marching on and people are retiring and new crops are coming up of actors. All right, so so I think, I think (laughs) that it's a good idea to know what is currently popular in entertainment. So you can hate it? Well, I I, I suppose I'm confining myself to movies. I very much cherry pick. There was a garbage film the other night, Moonfall, Halle Berry. And and it's it's utterly crap. But it's so crap it's good. And then you're gonna you're gonna instantly like throw your laptop at the wall here. I watched all three of the Dark Knight trilogy, the Batman films. Oh, absolutely not. Now what's the point of this? Right, you've got Batman, which is Adam West. I don't like them Batmans. Why not? They're brilliant. They're wonderful. It's the same bloody thing every single time. It's ridiculously filmed. William Self, in charge of production, appears at the end of every episode. Don't know who William Self was, but he's running Batman and Lost in Space. Brilliant. Mm. He must have had the best job in the world. So, no, I, I love that. The, the music, the way it's shot. It's clearly, it's just people having a really good time. Whereas those things, the bloody Batman films. When I first watched the first one, I'm going to see that. What was that? 1989? No, see... no, no. You're on about the Michael Keaton ones then. Right. Yeah, this is Christian Bale. I don't know who that is. Well, since these, right, in like 2004, Eight or summer, mm-hmm. right? They made these last year. They've done another new Batman with another new Batman. What's the point? I don't know. The it's Christian just... Bale ones are perfect. Uh, aren't they, they quite are. dark and de- depressing? Yeah. Though I don't no, like that. Not depressing. 
Well, really no, but all dark and moody and sinister. Really? Yes. And they've made and they've made the Joker. The Joker should be Caesar Romero running around doing his laugh with that mad walk where his knees nearly hit his face every time. Yeah. That's the Joker. Not that dead man. That no, I'm not having that. Heath Ledger. That's it. Don't want that. Where they're going, yeah. oh, well, let's, let's examine bit... why he's a psychopath. I don't care. He's just well, a ba- mad clown. If you watch Joker, which is the film they've made since with Joaquin Phoenix. If you watch that, you'd hate it. Well, but I think it, you know it, that I'm not going to, but... It is a really good piece of filmmaking, which Martin Scorsese was attached to originally, which is why it's got the look of a Scorsese film, like Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, or something like that. And it's got Robert De Niro playing the Jerry Lewis character out of the Scorsese film with De Niro and Lewis, King of Comedy. No! No cultural signposts there. Absolutely not. None of those make sense. No, no. They, they're, they're not in my purview, dear. The world well, of cinema, we? though. I, I do love cinema. I Actually, when it looks like film, this is my point. Films don't generally look like films these days, and telly doesn't look like telly. This is it. This uh, is the problem. I like a film, and Batman, the Batman ones, <laughs> Simon's going, if Simon's listening to this, he calls them cape shit films. <laughs> so I've kept this detail from him, but I wanted a distraction. Anyway, right. I like a film to look like a film, right? Okay. And a proper film does, right? If you watch, you uh, well, you might not have done, but Lawrence of Arabia. Have you seen Lawrence of Arabia? Yes. Okay. Oh. Okay. Right. That long shot. Oh, that's perfect. I love that film. That is a film. Yeah, that's a film. It has the scale of a film. That's a movie. Have you seen Waterloo? Rod Steiger, hopelessly miscast as as Napoleon. No, not seen that. That looks like it's got scale to it. Mm. It's got real scale to it. But but isn't the, the other problem here that when we say, you know, about films... It, most of them aren't made on bloody film now. No. It's it's digital. I want them to have that look of 35 mil. It's like the difference between a digital picture and a film and a photograph that's actually taken on film that you have to send to boots and wait to get back. You know, that's the the, the creativity of that, of composition and stuff like that. I want them to actually have been there and composed the shot, not gone, oh, well, we'll sort it in post. Well, yeah. No, I agree. I agree entirely. I mean, it, it goes back to that whole thing of, I'm going to call it what I've always known it as, the patina of what mm. you're looking at. People say mm. patina these days. That's fine too. Mm. Uh, but um, anyway, it's like when I watched Mitch the other week and I kept sending you photographs of it yes. because we are behind yes. that sort of screen of chiffon looking through outside broadcast VT. Mm. And there's something about that. Now, of course, it might have that hauntological aspect because we saw it when we were kids. And we've got that whole ephemeral thing going on of what was going on around us and that influenced this and he looks like my granddad's mate, whatever it might be. Mm. So, of course, there's all that. But for me, it's it's that patina Mm. that gives it its feel. Yeah. It gives it an emotive quality. No, it absolutely. puts it firmly in a place in time. Yeah. I suppose you'll look back in 20 years at digital film and that will have the same pattern. But the trouble with digital is it's all uniform. It's always perfect. There you go. And, mm. I, and I think that, that that's 
I suppose that's what gets to me. There's something that we're going to talk about in a minute, isn't there? Uh, to do with Robert Hardy. Now that, and there's a lovely, there's a lovely shot in that about oh, is it about twenty four minutes in, where he does this lovely piece, and then you notice a shadow, and you think, what was that? Let's just go back and check. it's a bloody great big boom, Mike. And they go, oh, Robert's done it once. Let's not get him to do it again. He'll go mental if we do the it again. The day Robert Hardy went mad. The day Robert, the minute. Robert yeah. Hardy went mad. Yeah. I think we can talk about yeah. Have you got yours there? I have, but it's behind that tree. All right, well, I'll get but mine But you love yours. Well, this I'll was you, wasn't too. it? This was your fault. Um, well, so this was s- an experiment, uh, essentially, to explain to the boys and girls. I wondered to myself, <laughs> I wondered to myself, what is, what's the smallest number of moves I could make <laughs> for you to go buying it, right? Yeah. Two. Right. Two. That's what it took. It took two messages on WhatsApp. Do you know what? I didn't even see the link you sent to buy it. I actually went and searched for it on Amazon. Oh, I I saw the screen grab. It was just like Jeremy Brett, Edward Hardwick, Ian Hendry, Robert Hardy. It was just like, what? Uh What is this? And how have I never heard of it? What is it? And and Billy Whitelaw. Yes. Isn't Sinead Cusack in one? That's right, in uh, in the first one. That's right. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, she's hard. What we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is this. This is Supernatural. Very good. Supernatural, 1977 BBC, an anthology series mm. um, of Supernatural uh, malarkey. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Well, I mean, let's be honest. I've watched the first four. Mm. And they're fairly dreadful. Yes. The stories are dreadful. <laughs> it's cheap, it's tatty. Yes. Um, the titles look to me like some kind of experimenting, just taking photographs of old houses and and polarising them or whatever. Basically, yeah. There. They create Venice with an old bridge and a few leftover tables from Secret Army. But it's on that bridge that Robert Hardy goes mad. It is on that bridge. That is where that happens. Robert Hardy goes mad 24 minutes Mm. into the first episode of Supernatural. And from that moment, you never see normal Robert Hardy again on screen. Never. That's when he goes mad. Once Mm. you've shown people in telly, Mm. uh, this is my own supposition, but Mm. once they've seen Brian Blessed going nuts, once they've seen Robert Hardy shouting his head off with his fringe touching the back of his neck yes they just want more yes it's just like yeah no can you give us more of that yeah can we have more of that stuff that i suppose he did us. balance it with churchill i mean i've not watched this because he played churchill a number of times didn't he yeah, doesn't he do that in the is it the wilderness years that's that the first done? one uh, right. in fact doesn't it isn't there a series called the prime ministers on number 10 or summer and there's an episode of disraeli there's one on church the prime ministers that's <coughs> right, yeah I think that might be the first time he portrays Churchill. Yeah. And, and I think Southern TV make The Wilderness Years, which surprised me. Oh, blimey. Yeah, yeah, I know. The I tiny little wrong. studio. Yeah, oh. yeah, I could be wrong. But as a, as, a, as a sort of continuation of that, I know he's in Bomber Harris as Churchill, mm. BBC 1989. And yeah. I think he's in that uh, American miniseries from the early, well, mid-80s, The Winds of War. With yes. With Mitchumin. That's right. Which I think was that Dan Curtis who produced it. Not I th- sure. I think. Um, 
But this, I mean, we, we were having a, a discussion about this. It's a fascinating little series, because you'd think, with that cast that you mentioned, Ian Hendry, Robert Hardy, Billy Whitelaw, you think that what we're going to be talking about is this big prestige series, which is what yeah. I assumed it was, especially yeah. with it being a BFI release. And the think, box. Oh. The image and on the box is you just think, like... Yeah. Oh, God, it's cheap. Oh, it's beyond cheap. It's Churchill's cheap. people cheap. It is. It really is. Now, the first episode especially, which is interesting, the first episode is all shot in studio. There's mm. no location 16mm film. It's all studio-based with, like you say, you've got a, a bridge, and that's yeah. Venice, with uh, obviously green screen behind it, but all shot in studio. And it feels like a mid-season one. And we mm. were talking about why that might be, and we think that that could be because of episode two with Ian Hendry, who's clearly oh, not soused. entirely sober. <laughs> totally soused. And uh, what gets me in that, certainly that first one, he never stops eating. Mm. In every scene, he's eating. And yeah. it's just like... Because you don't see actors eat an awful lot. No, you don't. A lot of actors don't like eating on screen. A lot of actors are like, I can't do that. I no, can't. there's an awful lot of pushing the food about. And yeah. lifting it and then stopping for a line. You yeah. get a lot of that. Who wants to And looking unconvincing. On yes. That's the reason why a lot of actors don't want to do it because it's like, you know, I mean, me, I'd just eat the bloody thing. It wouldn't bother me. No. Um, but, uh, you know, but he never stops eating. Um, Hardy as Adrian Gall, mm. actor manager. Yes. It's a strange one. It really does seem so cheap. And it's not just the lighting because it looks washed out. It looks really washed out. Now, I assumed with that, that what we've got then, the only thing I can think is that you've, because it does have a fair bit of editing done to it, that one. So presumably what you've got is you've got your studio tape and you'd normally edit straight from that. This seems to be a couple of generations down. And I was thinking maybe the other episodes will look like that and they don't. The others are much more crisp. Well, the second one opens, because I think that I'm right in saying the framing is something like a sort of a hellfire club, isn't it? For, That's right, yeah. For gentlemen of a certain sort of social status. And in the first one, we get Hardy coming in as Adrian Gold, the grand yes. actor. Yes. Um, and in the second one, which is very strange, we don't have that studio VT of the Hellfire Club and the chap getting up and saying, every week we uh, meet a new member. They tell us, a, they frame it totally in the first one. They tell us mm. a horror story. And if we, you know, decree it, I think it's blood chilling enough. They're in. And yeah. That's when Hardy tells his story. Second mm -hmm. one is like a film mm. of um, a similar room. Yeah. And the chaps are in it with all mm. the sort of big whiskery business going on, the Victorian chaps. And there's a voiceover in it. Yes. And, and it, to all intents and purposes, it looks like a, a European film that's been dubbed. Mm. It does. It's really interesting. I think, and you've also got the fact that the sets are so much bigger. You've got that mm. scope in that episode. And I think what, uh, the only thing I can think is that for the first one as broadcast, I think originally that will have meant to have been somewhere in the middle of the run. That's my guess. And what we see in episode two, I reckon would have been episode one because it looks grand. Episode one was clearly shot in studio one at the time, biggest studio in Europe. Episode, but ep rather episode two uh, shot in studio one episode one studio three maybe which right. was the drama studio possibly studio seven stu you know it's it's not 
big. You don't get that depth of field with the sets, with the with the scope of the sets. There's none of that at all. No. But when and a lot of location Hardy, work. Oh, location work all over the place for a lot of them. Not that not that first one. It's all contained. Gives it that claustrophobic feeling, and tight shots. Lots of close-ups in that first one as well. But that means, of course, when Robert Hardy goes mad 24 minutes in, yeah, <laughs> he comes through the lens at you at that point. That's the first time that your telly is too small to contain Robert oh, Hardy. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I like that. He's so loud. Yeah. And that, when you compare him with the way that he is in Manhunt and all those other things that he's done before where he's playing subtle, nuanced characters... This one, and it fits the character perfectly, because he is an actor, so he loses it, and he loses it in an actory, theatrical way, but clearly, Robert Hardy loves it. He's having the time of his oh, life. Most definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, and like you say, from that point, like people would say with Brian Blessed, oh, give us more of that, Brian. Mm. I think after he did that, basically, oh, can we have more of that? That's good fun, isn't it? It so, is good fun. I mean, the story, really uh, the story actually isn't too bad in that one. No, because it, it, but it needs it needs some money spending on it. I it mean, does. you can imagine how enigmatic it would have been if they could have just shot outside for the Venice scenes. Yeah, I think so. I think what they've tried to do to give it that look, and this is why the the, the videotape doesn't look good, is they've pulled the lighting right down. Mm. Which is absolutely fine, but when you're talking about those old EMI cameras, EMI 2001 cameras, then they're struggling to find the picture in there. Yeah. So you get you get all your little chroma dots and all that sort of stuff because the camera's really having a hard time of it. I think striking that balance with lighting on VT is so bloody difficult, and they they try and they don't mm. quite get it right. But do you think yeah. with it going out over summer it's uh, and that episode going out first, do you think it was being buried in the schedule? Because I do. Well, I think what you've got, you've got this really interesting thing that happens in 1977, haven't you? So, <clears throat> 1977, um, Terence Dix uh, writes a four-part Doctor Who called State of Decay, which is for Tom Baker and Louise Jameson. And it's vampires, and it's gothic, and it's ready to go into production. And then the head of drama, I think Graham MacDonald, calls the producer up and goes, no, not having any of that. We can't have any of that, because we're doing Dracula. And if you do vampires, and we're doing Dracula, people will think you're taking the piss. Okay, we're, we're not having any of that. sense. It doesn't make sense, but BBC politics at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, they'd spent a lot of money on Dracula. And to be fair, that Dracula, it looks bloody good. It oh, it's really, a cock of that. It's smashing stuff. But then you've got, no, you can't do that. So suddenly, on Doctor Who, it's like, Terence, we, we can't do yours. Can you do something else? So he knocks out the horror of Fang Rock, which is beautiful. Oh, Shot in a lighthouse. You know, um, absolutely beautiful stuff. I wonder... If it's because that this is when Dracula is meant to be coming out. So suddenly we've got Dracula, prestige stuff. Oh, we've got Supernatural as well. No, can't have two at the same time. Because there so are like vampire say, episodes, aren't there? I mean, there they've are. not got to them yet. That, but no, you're absolutely right, there are. So I think what we've got there is we can't have too much of that stuff. We can't take it away from Dracula. So all that we can do here is just put it out on BBC Two. Let's, let's mm. just hide it there. Yeah. And it's like I was saying to you, you know, it's so many things are at the whim of the schedulers, aren't they? Because to go back to what I mentioned before, Star Cops, I know it's not one that you particularly know, but Star Cops, 
should have been this big budget. And it's a good-looking series. You know, it's all, it's shot beautifully, it's hard-hitting. And it deserves its place that it should have had, which I think was originally going to be Monday nights at 8 o'clock, BBC One. Right. But then all of a sudden... Why don't we just show it, you know, in July on BBC Two and start it at five to eight, which means that your audience is watching Coronation Street. When that finishes, they turn over and see what else is on. Yeah. Oh, that's already started. No, we won't bother with that. It's already started. Appalling ratings. They were proper bastards, weren't they? Oh yeah, with their own programs though. That's what gets yeah, me. Yeah, but if it's, it's personal, the- people are weird, aren't they? Oh, well, let's, this is why the last three years of Doctor Who is like, where should we put that out? Opposite Coronation Street. Yeah. Five minutes after each episode of Corrie starts, so nobody watches it. Yeah. Well, don't make it then. I What's agree. the bloody point? If they shouldn't have made that, the Mackay. They should have made the last two series, not the first. You've got to make the first to get to them. Mm, you do, that's true. Um, so, no, it is, it's a really strange... Really strange show, and it does have that feeling of something which was being used within the BBC. But don't forget as well, you're talking about a time when disputes were happening all the time. This is around the time that you get the play school strike, um, which is one of my favourite things, where play school shut television centre down because they had the clock on play school, you know, with Mm -hmm. the, what's under the clock? Now then, the clock's a prop. But the clock has also got an electronic component with the turntable. So who's responsible? Is it props or mm. is it the sparks? And one day on play school, someone they need to move the clock. So someone just unplugs it, moves it, plugs it back in. Everybody out! The wrong person moved the clock. And the whole of TV Centre is shut down because the wrong person unplugged the clock and moved it a bit. That's the time that we're talking about. You know, we're talking about union power. In the oh. 70s. Oh, t- Absolutely. I mean, you know, you said everybody out, so immediately think of Miriam Carlin and the rag trade, don't you? Mm. Um, I'll tell you, Kenneth Cope does a good... Ev- oh, no, Bernie Breslau does it, everybody out. Uh, in Carry On At Your Convenience, which you've probably not seen, about a bog, a toilet factory. Oh, no, I love Carry On At Your Convenience. Yeah. Wonderful. I love favorites. Kenneth Cope's character's name, Vic Spanner. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Just brilliant, brilliant. <clears throat> yeah. So it's a strange, strange little program. I'm glad to have got it, and I'm I'm enjoying seeing it. But I enjoyed it's... being in the company of those actors, though. That's yes. what I'm getting out of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Me and Andrew the... in that is just not. He's not present. No, he's not acting off everyone. So everyone's having to play off him. Mm. Which you can see the jeopardy. Who's who are the other guys in it? Right, who are the two other guys in the second one? Yeah, because there's one um, I really know the name of, and it's just eluding me right now. I want to say Alan Ladd, and it's not. No, it's not. It's anyway, not those two yeah. guys, they're sort of having to just, right, we're doing this at Hendry Pace, are we? Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which waxes and wanes, obviously. Mm. Oh, and he absolutely. eats an awful lot. It's what When you watch it, I don't know if you noticed that, but he eats an awful lot of times in the scenes. I'll have to rewatch it just it's to really watch Henry eating, I think. But then... Henry's fascinating, isn't he? Because how much power did he hold as an actor to keep being employed, even though he must have been an absolute nightmare? It's like that that story about the Lotus Eaters, 
were when they were shooting on location in Crees, they'd get Wanda Ventham to go and tell him to go to bed because Wanda Ventham was the only person who could do that, who they knew he wouldn't punch. Yeah. If anybody else had done it, Henry would have lamped them. You know, that's but and that's seventy-two. Five years later, he's still pissed. Oh, but totally pissed. But still being employed, which which I, I think I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously the guy had uh, you know, star appeal. Mm. He was what, nineteen sixty was it? He was the star of the Avengers when it first started. Yes, that's it. So he's obviously a big deal. He's he's a big deal in Zulu, uh, which is sixty nine, isn't it? Have you yeah. ever seen Zulu? I've not yet. Oh, I know I should no, that is one it. I'll watch. That's a movie. I'll watch that. I might watch that for twelfth night. Because not somebody who's in it died yet. last week. David Kernan, who was also on That Was The Week That Was. Yeah, he yeah. Di- and so that's why Zulu came to my attention last week, yeah. Zulu are the man who would be king. Mind you, I've got the draftsman's contract to watch, Peter Greenaway, mm. which uh, Simon has really sold me on. I've never oh, okay. watched any Peter Greenaway, so I'm going to have it. Anyway. Um, I only know Peter Greenaway from one line and Drop the Dead Donkey where Henry is sort of thinking he's dying and he's reminiscing about things. He goes, the certain certainties in life. All Peter Greenaway's films are crap. That's one of them. Yeah. Which I love the way But that's touring next year, isn't it? Drop the Dead Donkey is touring. We must go and watch it. The original cast, without David Swift, of course, no longer with us, but everybody Ah, else is in there. Did you, I know the answer now anyway. You didn't watch Excalibur, did you? I haven't yet. No. Clive Swift's in it, and he's just steals it. He's brilliant. I I mean, he's brilliant anyway. He's brilliant anyway. Mm. I've still got uh, the stalls of Barchester to watch yet. I've carefully reserved that one. Yes, because that is one to be sipped. Mm. Hardy uh, has got the sort of manic stir there, and it could go off at any time. Yes, no, but he could. It's yeah. contained, but it's war. It's there. There isn't the immediate danger in that, though, is there? Because it's shot on film, and I think that Hardy is at his most dangerous on VT mm. for some reason. I don't know why. I think because films cut together, so they can go. Oh, Hardy went a bit mad. Let's just piece it together carefully. If Hardy goes mad on VT in studio like he does here, there's nothing you can do about it. Just let Hardy crack on. Yeah. Have Video you seen the Adventures of Robert Baldick? No, I do have it because there's it's a pilot, isn't it? I've never yeah. watched it, not yet. Yeah, I think it's Terry Nation, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah, cracking, cracking episode, and it sort of goes on all the way, and it's like a start, sort of quite. It's good. It's a good romp, but it's it's more, you know, uh, what's the word? Mm, prosaic affair. It's there's mm. nothing remarkable about it, and then at the end, he opens a bag. And he says to his sort of sidekick, who's like, you know, he's sort of trusty sort of stable chap, or whatever he is, I can't remember. He's Dr. Watson, anyway. And he says, yes, but there's been an archaeological dig up the road, and uh, what do you make of this? And then pulls out this sort of Doctor Who season eight prop of a circuit board with stuff stuck on it and that. And then it goes off. So you've got all this sort of quite, like I say, you know, normally Victorian rompy stuff. And then at the end he pulls out well, a bit of a telly, I suppose, well, with probably. some uh, air freshener knobs glued on it. Mm, that but sounds lovely. I must give that a go. Never Come Night, it's called, isn't it, the pilot? 
Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that would have been lovely to see where it went. But yes. So it would. Yeah, the adventures of yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there were presumably more to come, but I suppose at the time uh, Terry was also trying to flog the Daleks in their own. And survivors, mill film. yeah, and survivors. Yeah. The guy was prolific, really. You know, mm. I mean, you can't knock survivors. You know, no. you can. You, I agree with the criticism of his Dalek story. You know, with Uncle Terry saying we gave him lots of champagne. You know, and he provided the same script he'd sent nine times before, and all yeah. that. <laughs> and that's fine, isn't it? I mean, with Genesis mm. of the Daleks, mm. I mean that this. You know, that ain't the same old story. It's, no, it isn't. But how much of that was rewritten by Robert Holmes? Probably a great majority I imagine of it. that he just sat down and went, right, there's someone called Tarrant in it. That's out. Oh, there's a space plague. That's out. All the usual tell stuff is taken yeah. out and replaced by really good dialogue. I suspect there was a lot of Robert Holmes going it's on It's so good. I mean, you know, if you think about patterners and that, it's just uh, gunmetal, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's, it's got that, that feeling. of it, it feels dangerous. It feels like it would be cold and hard to the touch oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no, no it, it is it is stunning um mm. but with survivors he really does provide some really thought-provoking stuff mm. no he absolutely does but of course he writes the whole of the first series and then out you go yeah because of terence dudley no, does I'll... he write the whole of the first series does he yeah. write law and order um or is that martin worth I'm not sure. He does write the majority. Certainly with Blake 7, he writes all 13 of them. And then when it gets to Series 2, he writes, I think, all of Series 2. But apparently by the time he's getting to the end of Series 2, the scripts are getting thinner and thinner and thinner until they're about 20 minutes. And then Chris Bouch is like, right, okay, let's beef these up a bit. But then, I mean, as an ideas man, you know, Terry Nation is like, what do you want to make, Terry? Well, Magnificent Seven in space? Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah. You know, just just as an ideas man. Stunning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stunning. Yeah. 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 Do like Terry Nation. We like, like our Terrys. We like, we like Terry. We like Terry, and Terry got that job because of David Whittaker. And I was trying to persuade you to buy this. I bought lady. it. I bought you it. You bought it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought got, it. That, that was a, yeah, that this was a one. A, there's a lovely book. Uh, David Whittaker in an adventure in television. Um, I didn't know it was uh, like the first Doctor Who annual in terms of... It is. It is. Look at that. Um, But a fascinating chap because not much is known about him. And what you were saying before is interestingly quite uh, useful here. The idea of basically modern life is shit, which I thoroughly agree with. (sighs) One of the key things I despise at the moment is, you know, cancel culture. The fact mm. that for actually just saying, I think this, well, you can't have a career then. Yes. He's one of the first victims of cancel culture. Yeah. Decades ago. Decades ago. Right? What happens is uh, one life, one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich, um, the, uh, the book set in the Russian gulag, um, which is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. That's it, yeah. You mean Gulag um, Archipelago? Well, he did that, okay, but the first one is One One Day in the Life of uh, oh, okay. Ivan Denisovich, right? right? And that book uh, is obviously, that's a huge book, and it's uh, it's released after Stalin dies, um, and Khrushchev loves that book. But then he starts writing other books, and he writes Cancer Ward and Gulag Ar- Archipelago, and suddenly people are going in the USR, uh, USSR, well, we don't like this very much, we don't like you doing this sort of thing. 
So the Writers Guild of Britain decide that they've got to take a stance against the oppression of this writer in Russia. Mm. So they so they send mm. David Whittaker to Moscow. This is familiar. David Whittaker is sent out to Moscow and he gives a speech. But rather than going out there and, you know, criticising the regime, which would be rather silly to do, because you're going to get the old Bulgarian umbrella up the arse, he goes out there and he draws a parallel and talks about the evils of McCarthyism in the hope that they'll see, look, the Americans are doing bad things, mm. so are you, trying to do that. Don't know if it entirely got across to them, because in 1970 he gets uh, sent into exile, so probably didn't work very well. But Whitaker goes out there and he makes this speech about McCarthyism and so on. Now, up until that point, Whitaker is constantly engaged as a writer. Okay, He's writing drama, he's writing links for comedy shows, um, he's writing feature films, he's writing all this stuff. He goes out to Russia, he makes this speech, some people say he goes too far, some people say he doesn't go far enough, and he comes back and he doesn't get a single writing job. Mm. Nothing. He can't get anything in the industry, in film, in radio, in theatre, in television. Nothing. Because he went to Russia and made that speech. And that's his career over. That's it. That would be why he went to... Was it Australia he went He to? went off to Australia, that's right. Mm. Uh, and taught for a while out there. But one of the first people... the, the One of the earliest examples in Britain, certainly, mm. that I can think of, of somebody being cancelled... For going out and making yeah. a speech. I must have read that many years ago because I don't, I obviously didn't know who Solzhenitsyn was at the time. Mm. Mm. So, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I remember that. That rings a bell that he was yeah. blacklisted because Completely. of some speech uh, defending it. a Russian writer. I remember that. Yeah, he goes that. out there, he defends him, but the mistake, I think, is he defends him whilst criticising America. Suddenly it's like, oh, no, can't have any of that. And that's it. Yeah. His career is just over from that Well, I, I need a slash. Otherwise, I'm going to have a map of China across the front. Well, I need to go to Aldi thinking about it, dear, oh, as well. Oh, well, uh, we've probably been going a while anyway. Let's, let's yeah, wrap I mean, I don't know if we covered Twelfth Night very much. No. <laughs> uh, no. Oh. Like Sir Toby Belch, who Robert Hardy played, didn't he? He played yes. Sir Toby Belch. Oh. I mean... Uh, yeah, he does. A, he does go a bit mad in that as well because we did Twelfth Night in uh, sixth form, hmm. uh, uh, one for the teenagers. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did that there, and uh, and I was Belch. Obviously, I made a real I, I had a real fun with that because mm. Blackadder the goes fourth had just been on telly, so I did it all as General Melchit. Obviously, oh, lovely. Um, and we watched. Uh, is it Michael Williams as my Malvolio? Yes, it is. Yeah, and oh. uh, Robert Hardy, I think, as Belch, maybe. I think I don't so. Know. I think it's a so. long time ago. I think there's a version with Andre Morel playing Sir Toby Belch, but he plays it so beautifully and just like Quatermass, everything is being said like that all the way through. This lovely acting, mm. but he doesn't. He doesn't play any of the outrageousness at all. You can see he's he's been told. Oh, do you want to play it like that, Andre? No, no. I think mm. I shall say it quite nicely. Thank you. Lovely performance, though. Well, Lovely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paste my pants over here. Uh, so, well, we um, don't need to watch that on television. No, nobody no. needs to see that. So, mm. well, uh, we hope you all have a lovely twelfth night and yes. have a great week ahead. Mm. And we hope you enjoyed whatever that was, mm. uh, as we've not been, uh, we've not done this for a while. No, we've been doing those extravagant cash 
rich shows. Yes. The last one had a budget of £8.30, you know. It did. I broke the bank, that one. Oh, gosh, yes. But uh, until the next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production. Nice